Well, good morning, Crossroads family. And anyone that happens to be watching this online, I want to welcome you in. And uh, we're excited to be in the middle of a series in the book of 2 Corinthians, um, looking at renovation. How many of you guys have ever taken on a renovation project? How many have found that there's a lot more cost involved than what you've initially assessed? And usually that's the case as we get into a situation where uh, renovation is necessary. There is a uh, ever-increasing cost that is involved. And so one of the challenges that God gives us is to count the cost, to consider the cost. And that's this morning's message as we dive into um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and we continue our series together is are we counting the cost? Listen to the words of Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 14. Jesus says these words, beginning in verse 28. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Have you ever come across a, uh, a project uh, maybe a neighbor or someone else that is half done and it never seems to get anywhere. Well, I have a neighbor right in my neighborhood that is great at starting projects, but not so good at finishing them. But, you know, he's not the only one. Um, I'm, I have some slides here. You might recognize some of the things that are up on this slide right here. Oh, wow, look at that. That is exciting. Um, this is... The high-speed, California high-speed rail project. Yes, it's beautiful in all of its glory. Um, this is what $10 billion will buy you. $10 billion. Let me tell you a little about the history, for those of you guys who don't understand what I'm talking about. In 1996, then-Governor Pete Wilson, how many remember that guy? He began and established the California High-Speed Rail Authority. They began to spend time studying and planning um, what it would take to build a high-speed rail that would connect Southern California with Northern California, specifically Los Angeles to San Francisco. Um, and uh, after many years of, of surveying and planning, finally Proposition 1A was put on the ballot in 2008. How many remember 2008 Proposition 1A? And it passed... 52 to 48%, 52% of Californians voted for Proposition 1A, and it enabled the state to sell $10 billion worth of bonds. Everybody understand what a bond is? It's a, a tax, ultimately, with interest that the California taxpayers are going to have to repay the bondholders that give the state that money to do that kind of project. It was supposed to fund the majority of the infrastructure. This is what they told us, that $10 billion would cover the majority of the infrastructure necessary to build this high-speed rail. Fifteen years later, we're in 2023, that's 15 years since 2008 when the bond was passed, the $10 billion is now gone. Hmm. There's, there's what we have to show for it. Pretty exciting. They have completed, believe it or not, this is what $10 billion buys you in California today. 
they have completed a few dozen miles of the 139-mile stretch from Madeira to Bakersfield. Wow. How many have been to Madeira or Bakersfield? And how many stay there? None of us, right? We're all passing through. There's not much population in those cities or between those destinations, and yet that is where the project has been focused. Now they say they need another 80 to $120 billion to complete this project. And that keeps on going up. Well, somebody didn't understand what it would take to finish the job. They didn't count the cost. They didn't really um, uh, take into account all the regulation that's involved in California. Anybody who's started a business in California knows what a difficult place this is to get anything off the ground. Now, I know this isn't a tower, but if we apply Jesus' words, it means that the average onlooker to this catastrophe that we see up on the screens would make fun of whoever is responsible for this. That's what Jesus said. Who wouldn't laugh? Who wouldn't, you know, poke fun at the person responsible? Well, unfortunately, if you live in this state, you and I are responsible. We're on the hook, along with our representatives, because we're the ones paying the bill. Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You see, Paul had considered the cost of following Jesus, and his life bore out that he understood what it cost to follow the Lord. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to begin at verse 16 this morning. Paul never had any problem boasting about Jesus Christ and his suffering, because Jesus' suffering was for our sake. But he was hesitant to speak of his own suffering, his own travails in following Jesus. I think Paul and John the Baptist would have something in common. They would believe in this statement. He must increase and we must decrease. Paul was a humble man. Paul understood that it was all about Jesus. And yet, here we find in the beginning of this passage, Paul having to, finding himself in a place of having to boast about things that had happened in his experience. What had driven him to this? Well, the Corinthian church had driven him to this because they had entertained those who were boasting in their midst. These were false teachers. Some called them super apostles. They called themselves super apostles. And they were full of boasts. And the Corinthian church had accepted the boasting of those super apostles. And Paul felt like, if you're going to listen to that, then maybe I need to chime in here. Why? Not for his own sake, but for the sake of saving some of them from following the false apostles down a destructive path. So let's pick it up, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. Paul says, I repeat, he had already begun, if you've been here the last few weeks, when Nate was teaching and when Jeff was teaching, he had already begun this process of beginning to boast or talk about some of the things that he had gone through as an apostle for Jesus Christ. So he says, I repeat, no one should consider me a fool. But if you do, at least accept me as a fool, so I too may boast a little. 
What I say in this matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord would, but foolishly. Since many boast in an unspiritual way, I will also boast. What is Paul saying? Well, first of all, he's applying a principle in the book of Proverbs to the Corinthians. Answer a fool according to their own folly. Paul is feeling like I have to become a fool because you guys are fools. You guys are entertaining this foolish notion that these teachers that are trying to lead you away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ, you guys are entertaining them, so I'm going to start to do the same things that you're listening to with them. But I have a different motive, and that's to capture you back to the true message of the gospel. You know, he also says that this isn't what the Lord Jesus would do, right? Jesus wouldn't boast about himself. Jesus, as we all know in the Gospels, was anything but a boaster, wasn't he? He wouldn't go down that path, and Paul knew that. And he said, like, I feel like I'm not even being like Jesus in this moment, but I feel like I have to do it because that's the only thing you guys will listen to. It's as if, like, the thing that was in was boasting in that time. And Paul says, since it's in and since you guys are listening to it, I'm going to go there too because I'm going to do everything I possibly can to rescue you from your foolish selves. How sad that is, right? That Paul felt like these guys were so listening to foolish boasting that he too needed to go there in order to somehow rescue them. You know, Jim Elliott was a missionary to the unreached people in Ecuador. And uh, before that, he was a student at Wheaton College, and he penned some words as a student right before he went out on his missionary journey and ultimately gave his life for the sake of the gospel. He wrote these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, he understood something about being a fool. The world may consider you a fool for this and that, But in God's economy, it is not foolish to give away your life because you can't keep it anyway. To gain for eternity a life with Jesus. Verse 19, for you being so wise, gladly put up with fools. Paul's telling the Corinthians, you guys have entertained these foolish so-called super apostles. They're really false teachers. In fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you, if someone devours you, if someone captures you, if someone dominates you, or if someone hits you in the face. What do these terms mean? What is Paul talking about? Well, he's describing exactly how the false teachers, the super apostles, had treated the Corinthians, and they had put up with it. Listen to what these phrases mean. Enslaves you. You put up with those who try and enslave you. They taught a doctrine of legalism, of following a bunch of rules. Not the gospel of grace, that Jesus has set you free from sin and the law. And he wants you to use that freedom to do good in this world and to represent his name. But they taught a doctrine of legalism. Do this or that or give this or that. And it was contrary to the gospel of grace. They were enslaving the church. Devours you. This is the Greek word that literally means uh, for exploit. 
like a parasite devours you from the inside out. Anybody ever had a parasite? Yeah, a few. It's not a fun experience, right? It's like they're eating you from the inside out. And that's what Paul describes these false teachers doing in the church. They're devouring the church, just like a parasite would. Their whole existence is based on sucking the church dry. They ate up all they could get from the church, and they took advantage of their privilege of receiving financial support. Captures you. This is to take you in, to fool you. The image is that of a bird caught in a snare or a fish caught on a hook or a lure. This is what was happening to the people. They baited you, and they were able to snare you. They were able to capture you and take you captive for their own purposes. Dominates you. They exalted themselves, not the Lord Jesus Christ. They were all about becoming rich and famous themselves at the sake of the church. They wanted followers for their own glory, not for the glory of Christ. Paul recognized that. Paul was pointing that out. You are allowing this to happen in your midst, church. You are giving yourselves over to this. And it's to your own shame. And this idea of hitting you in the face This wasn't likely physically hitting them, but it's more of a figure of speech of how they would embarrass them publicly. False teachers love to put others down so that they would elevate themselves. And the Corinthians would just allow that to take place or laugh at the expense of others that the false teachers were making fun of in their midst instead of being encouraging and supporting of others there was a constant teardown that was happening in their fellowship. Paul pointed this out and he said, you have put up with all of these things. It's to your shame that this is happening. Stop it, Corinthian church. Put an end to this. And then he says something interesting in verse 21. I say this to our shame, we have been weak. It's almost he's using sarcasm or irony in this moment. He's saying, I've been too weak, apparently, to treat you like this. Maybe if I was more like that, you would have accepted me. But I'm not going to be like that. I'm following after Jesus, and he was a meek man. Meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. It's strength used for the right purposes. And Paul was a man who was following Jesus, and he wasn't taking advantage of the Corinthian church. But he almost says, maybe I should have, so that you would have followed me instead of these false teachers. Continuing verse 21, but in whatever anyone dares to boast, I am talking foolishly. It's like in the middle of a sentence, he just goes, I can't believe I'm about to go here. But I need to go here. Because you guys might take what I'm about to say, and it might change some of your minds about who I am, and about my motivation for being involved in ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. And whatever anyone dares to boast, I am talking foolishly, I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. 
Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that he has the lineage and the credentials of a true apostle. He comes from the line of Benjamin. He can trace his ancestry all the way back to Abraham. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, he was fully trained. He was fully educated. He spoke the language. He knew the scriptures. He had all the credentials. A lot of these super apostles, they claimed to have the credentials. Paul didn't boast that way. But now he's laying it out. They call themselves Hebrews. So am I. They call themselves Israelites as, as some way to claim like, oh, we have the lineage. We have the heritage. Don't listen to that Paul guy. Paul's like, I am too. As a matter of fact, mine's genuine. Some of these guys are faking it. But you're giving them your ear. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. This morning I want to lay out for us with Paul's testimony, with Paul's story of, of, of the things that he's going to boast about. I want to lay out five things when we consider the cost of following Jesus, five things that it's going to cost us if we choose to align our lives with Jesus Christ. Number one, the cost of following Christ is being misunderstood. You know, no servant is greater than his master, right? Was Jesus the Son of God who left heaven and took on flesh and came to earth? Did he have the authority of heaven behind him? And yet when he walked into the synagogue in his hometown, Nazareth, did they believe him? Did they accept him? No. They rejected him. He had all the credentials. He was the son of God made flesh. And they threw him out and they tried to kill him out of his own hometown. No servant is going to be greater than his master. The apostle Paul understood that. And he was being misunderstood. His motives were being questioned. His credentials were being questioned. He wasn't accepted as an authority among the Corinthian church. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. Here he goes interrupting himself again. He's like, I can't believe I'm, I'm about to go here with all this stuff. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, nearly death, near death many times. Five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Paul begins to lay out the suffering that he has endured, not because of anything he's done wrong. Right? Was it, were these things that happened to him because he did wrong things? No. It's simply because he aligned himself with his Savior, Jesus Christ, in a world that didn't tolerate that. In a world where that is not popular. You know, Jan prayed about some of the kids going to school. Is it popular to stand up and say, I follow Jesus in a public school in California? No, but is God calling us to do it? Is God calling you guys to do that? 
Yes. Is it popular to stand up in your neighborhood or in your workplace and say that you're aligning yourself with Jesus? No. As a matter of fact, you'll be misunderstood at the very least. You know, um, it's interesting, in the book of Acts, we only get one time that he was beaten by the Romans. We only get one time that he received 39 lashes. Why 39 lashes? Because there was the law, the, it was called the Mishnah, it was the interpretation of the Pharisees of the law, of God that said, once you get 40 lashes, you can die. So what we're going to do is we're going to say, well, let's back it off one from death and give people 39. And if they happen to die after 39 lashes, it's not our fault. And that was the way they justified it, this beating. Why did the Jews beat him severely? Because he was saying something that they didn't like. Why did the Romans beat him? Because he was doing things that were causing havoc in a place where they were trying to rule and reign and keep the peace. And they didn't like him because he seemed to be stirring up the crowds with his message of Jesus. And so from the, the legal authority and from the religious authority, he was getting persecution from both sides. It says, once I was stoned by my enemies. I want to talk about that. It's, it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 14, verse 8. And I think it really summarizes for Paul what he meant by being misunderstood and ultimately being mistreated. Verse 8, in Lystra, this was on one of his missionary journeys, his first missionary journey early on, a man without strength in his feet, lame from birth, this man couldn't walk, who had never walked, sat and heard Paul speaking. After observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he jumped up and started walking around. Faith overcame the obstacle in his life. Because God has the power to heal you. And Paul, being full of the Holy Spirit, demonstrated that. In front of the crowds. Verse 11, when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. Little did they know that they actually just prophesied something that's true. God did come down to them in the form of a man. But it wasn't Paul. And it wasn't his traveling partner. Verse 12, when they started to call Barnabas Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the main speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought oxen and garlands to the gate. He, with the crowds, intended to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this. And they rushed into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing these things? We are men also, with the same nature as you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you should turn from these worthless things, these idols, these false gods, and turn to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way. Although he did not leave himself without a witness, 
Since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your heart with food and with happiness, even though they said these things, they barely could stop the crowds from sacrificing to these false gods and to them who they saw as these gods who had come down from heaven to be among them. And they began to want to worship Paul and Barnabas. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. Talk about being misunderstood. The second cost for following Christ is, to be, is being mistreated. Not only was Paul misunderstood, but he was mistreated. Was he not? Did he deserve to be stoned? Do you know what it means to be stoned? It means people took up big rocks and just threw them at you, like in a big giant crowd that surrounded you, until you were lifeless, until you were like, stop moving. And yet the Bible goes on to say Paul survived that stoning. That's supernatural. John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus, in the upper room with his disciples, said these words. Remember the word that I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. What did Jesus just promise to those who are his disciples, to those that choose to count the cost and follow him? He promised mistreatment. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, back to our text. Three times, Paul continues, I was shipwrecked. We only read of one in the book of Acts. That tells you that Luke was not recording everything that took place in Paul's journeys and his life and his ministry. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. That means he wasn't on a boat, by the way. He was in the sea for a night and a day. That's a long time of treading water or floating or whatever he was able to do, maybe grabbing a piece of debris from the time he was shipwrecked. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brothers. Labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and lacking clothing. Paul doesn't even talk about his prison experience here. But in many of those situations, that's where he lacked food and nourishment. In those days, prison wasn't a cakewalk. Now, I'm here to tell you it's still not a cakewalk today, but it's a lot easier today than it was then. If you didn't have friends or family bring you food, they didn't bring you food. You starved to death. That was prison in Paul's day. And so thankfully, Paul did have people that would come and bring him supplies or bring him food, but there were times where he went without. There were times where, for whatever reason, people didn't come to him. And he found himself cold and naked and, 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 and starving to death. All for what? Why was he arrested? 
for just sharing Jesus with people. He was no criminal, but he was identifying himself with a servant who suffered. And therefore, he found himself many times suffering. The cost of following Christ, number three, you will be misunderstood, you will be mistreated, and you will face hardships. You know, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Revelation. Some of you guys have been in that class with Don and I as we've attempted to accurately teach and represent the book in all of its difficulty, uh, bring, that, bring the truth forward. But one thing that's very clear as we've been studying is there is an unseen spiritual world, is there not? The book of Revelation is filled with it. John received vision after vision, seeing things that exist in this place that isn't earth, in a place of unseen spiritual reality. And one thing that is pointed out over and over again is when you are a threat for God's kingdom, when you are seeking to build God's kingdom, when you are seeking to expand God's kingdom, when you are seeking to stand up for Jesus, the devil puts a bullseye right on your life. Do you know why? Because when you are shining light the brightest, the devil wants to extinguish that light. Paul was a bright light in his day for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, all of these things were thrown at him. All of these circumstances, all of this opposition, even the river seemed to be after him. Why? Because we will face hardships. You can count on it when you are doing things for God's kingdom. When you take a stand and say, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to represent him in my world. The brighter your light shines in this world for Jesus, the bigger target you are for an enemy whose only goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. God's plans and God's people. That's what he's after. Paul knew this. He experienced it firsthand. But he also knew something very important. Greater is he that is in him that was in him and is also in us, that's the Holy Spirit, than he that is in this world. Paul was clinging to that truth. He also clinged to the words of his Savior, take heart. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Those are the words of Jesus, and we can be overcomers in Christ. Jim Elliot understood that. You can't take from me. What is not your domain? What was he talking about? You can take my life, but you can't take what is rest assured in heaven for me. Can never be taken away. My inheritance, what has been given to me because of Christ and my faith in him. Number four, the cost of following Christ. You will be misunderstood. You will be mistreated. You will face hardships. And you will have to carry burdens. You will have to carry burdens. Before we go there in the text, you might be at a point where you're arguing with me or with this text or with this sermon. You might say, well, hold on here. The Apostle Paul, that was unique. He was a missionary, after all. That's why he was facing all this stuff. It doesn't apply to me. I'm just an average Joe in the church. Really? Matthew 28 says this. Go and make disciples of all nations. 
Who's Jesus speaking to? Anyone that would follow him. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, you will be my witnesses. Who's he speaking to? His disciples. Anyone who chooses to follow Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says these words, we therefore are God's ambassadors. Paul is identifying himself with the church, saying we together are missionaries. We're representatives in a world that needs light. So you can't excuse yourself and say, well, none of this can apply to me. No, because if you're following Jesus, all of this applies to all of us. You will carry burdens. Verse 28, Paul continues, not to mention other things. There is daily pressure on me. My care for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. You know, Paul is basically saying here, he's saying something very important. He's saying, I've been through all those trials, all those things I pointed out, but there is a greatest trial of all. There is a heaviest burden of all, and it's my concern for all of you guys, all of the people that he had spent time with, all the people that he had shared the good news of Jesus with, all of the people who are now listening to voices that they shouldn't listen to. This was weighing on Paul's spirit. He couldn't get it out of himself. He was carrying a burden. The word translated care means pressure, stress, anxiety. All the other experiences, they were external. They were coming from the outside, and they were temporary. They would come and go. But this one, the burden for the churches, it was internal. And it was constant. You know, it's been said that you can't understand what a parent goes through until you become one. And it's true. How many are parents here today? How many every day think about their children? Think about the safety of their children. Think about the concern for their children. Well, Paul had spiritual children. Paul, it wasn't his natural children. He had chosen to live a life fully dedicated, saying no to even having a wife. And he said, I'm just going to live my life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that meant he had numerous spiritual children. And every one of them, every time he heard any news about any one of them choosing to stray off the path, or choosing to renounce their faith in Jesus, or choosing to do something that was awful, and sin against their Savior. He wore that in himself. You know, my, my kid has, you know, walk, walks out in the street when they were little, and it just freaked me out, right? I just wore that concern of, like, something can happen to them. I didn't even like them to play outside. We lived on a pretty busy street. So we had a fence where they weren't allowed to go outside of that without being accompanied. Because you were just always fearful that they would just wander up into the, the busy street. That was Paul's concern constantly was for these Corinthians. He felt the weight of the burden of caring for the church. Verse 30. Verse 30. If boasting is necessary, Paul says, I will boast. But what does he say he's going to boast about? 
about my weaknesses. You know, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul could have said all kinds of other things. Could he have not? He could have talked about all his qualifications, all of his accomplishments, all of his strengths. But instead, he says, if I'm going to continue to boast, let me boast about my weaknesses. Why? Because Paul understood something. Where he was weak, that's where the glory of God shined brightest through him. God likes to use our weaknesses. Do you realize that? He doesn't want us to hide them or try and cover them up. He wants us to acknowledge that we need him in that area of our life, in those moments. Do we lack wisdom? Ask God for wisdom. Do we lack strength? Ask God for strength. Verse 31, the God and Father of of the Lord Jesus, who is forever praised, knows I am not lying. In other words, he calls God of heaven to testify as his witness to everything he just said as being truthful and everything that he's about to say. Come back for part two next week. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratus guarded the city of the Damascenes in order to arrest me. So I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Why in the world does Paul mention this particular episode, this story, to highlight his weakness? Let me just say this. Do you realize where Paul met Jesus? How many of you guys know the story? Acts chapter 9. It was on the road to Damascus that Jesus got his attention and captured his life. And what was he doing on the road to Damascus? He was actually heading there to arrest disciples of Jesus Christ. That was his mission. He had gotten papers from the synagogues in Jerusalem, and he was going with that authority, with those papers, with the official authority to go and arrest followers of Jesus. How did it end up for him after he had met Jesus on the road and he gets to Damascus and he starts teaching in the synagogues who Jesus is the Son of God and that he's the Christ, he's the Messiah. And the Jews were perplexed. The Jews were like, what are you doing? And they started dialing back home. Well, there was no phone, but they sent pigeons or something. They made sure the message got back to Jerusalem. This Paul guy that you sent to arrest followers of Jesus, he's become one. And they were like, what? He's a traitor. And they issued new papers to do what? Arrest Paul. So Paul is in Damascus sharing about Jesus. And how does he have to escape? He has escaped not with the authority that he walked into the city with. He escapes with just simply being lowered down a city wall in secret in a basket. His life was completely humbled. He was now completely reliant on God for deliverance. It was no more about his authority or carrying the authority of man. Paul understood that as an apostle of Jesus Christ, his only authority came from Jesus. And it came through a process of being humbled. The final cost of following Christ You will be misunderstood, you will be mistreated, you will face hardships, you will carry burdens, and you will be humbled. 20 years ago, when I was 20 years old, this is 28 years ago now, the world was my oyster. 
I had a good job. I was making good money for a kid that was still living at home with no bills. I had lots of money, but I also had a job that allowed me to travel free around the United States. I could fly wherever I wanted for free. And I was living the life. Until a moment in time that took place where God allowed me to hit an aircraft with a belt loader. And that sent my life into a spiral downward. A belt loader. You know the things that load luggage into the plane? That's the thing I was driving around when I was on the ramp for Southwest Airlines. And when I hit that aircraft and the pilot came out and the thing was shaking and there was passengers on board, and they had to actually tell all those passengers to exit the plane, fly in a new plane and fly that one out to get repaired. My job was suddenly in jeopardy. And everything that I had built my life around, thinking I was cool and I got a good job and I can make lots of money and I can travel the world at somebody else's expense, it was all stripped away. And that was the beginning of God drawing my heart to him. Because I needed to be humbled in order to become someone that could follow Jesus. Yep, Maluli understands. Some of us need to be humbled more than others. Amen? And some of us have been through more hardships than others to get there. But the reality is, if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to suffer. And we're going to sometimes have to be humbled. You know, I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and we're going to have a moment of response as we worship God together, as we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we're going to have a moment of response. We have the communion elements set forth here, but I want to, I want to tell you a few things before we begin. Paul's life reflected his Savior's like no one else. Paul's life was a reflection of Jesus's. Paul was a suffering servant. What was Jesus? He was the suffering servant. I want to read Isaiah chapter 53 for you guys as we prepare our hearts this morning. Isaiah 53 tells about Jesus as the suffering servant, starting at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sorrow was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of whose transgressions? Because of ours. He was crushed because of whose iniquities? Ours. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him or has punished him for the sins or the iniquity of us all. This morning, I want, I want us to reflect on what Jesus did up on that cross. The cross is over there now. I went back there, but it's over there. What Jesus did on that cross. He bore 
our punishment and our sins upon himself. He was the ultimate suffering servant. And he says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily. What did that mean in in Jesus' day? It was simple. If you saw a guy carrying a cross, you said, that guy's a dead man. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants us dead to ourselves, dead to the things that we used to live for in the flesh. And we want to be made alive with him. To follow after Jesus. Deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily and follow him. And so this morning I invite you to renew your commitment. You've heard what the cost is. Maybe you haven't understood the cost up until this time. Maybe it's the first time that you understood what Jesus says the cost is. If you, for the first time, or or you're renewing, saying, I understand, I've counted the cost, and I want to identify myself with the ultimate suffering servant, Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. No matter what it costs me, no matter what it takes, I want to be identified with Jesus in this world then you come to the table and you take of those elements and you say, I want my life to be used for his glory. That's what I recommit myself to or commit myself to for the first time. And there will be members of the prayer team available during this time. Maybe you need to ask them to help you with something. They're more than willing. They want to help you, walk you through Maybe you need to accept Jesus Christ. This would be a great moment. Your life will be forever changed. You'll pass from death, separation from God, to life forever in his presence. They can help you with that. I invite you to take this moment of response and do what you need to do with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and his willingness to boast. God, he didn't boast for his own sake. He boasted for the sake of the Corinthian church and for Crossroads Church. God, help us to understand what the cost is in following you from his example and help us be willing and ready to pay it whenever we're asked for your glory. God, if there's someone in this room that is still not sure or just doesn't understand what's being asked of them or doesn't, doesn't fully know yet what it means to follow Jesus, I pray that they'll move from their seat to someone who can pray with them, talk to them, explain things, answer questions. For the rest of us, God, who know you, I pray, God, that we will recommit ourselves to paying any price that you ask us to pay for your glory. That you won't be ashamed of us when you come with your holy angels. And that moment's coming soon. And we look forward to it. In Jesus' name.